Hi, this is Tim Stafford, and you're listening to Bluegrass Jam Along, the podcast for anyone and everyone who plays bluegrass. So my guest on Bluegrass Jam Along this week is Tim Stafford, and those of you who've been listening for a while will know Tim has been on before. We had a chat about Blue Highway Fest, and we had a chat uh, about Tim's book about Tony Rice, um, and we also chatted about Tony Rice for the Tony Rice specials. But I'm delighted to welcome Tim back because he's got a new album out called Guitar Melodies, which I'm just loving and just really keen to talk to him about. So, Tim, welcome back. It's great to see you again. Thanks for having me, Matt. It's always always a pleasure to talk to you. And this is such a good record. Um, I, I when I talked to you before, you'd had the record out with Tom Utes, and that was. It was just about to come out last time we spoke. Um, but it's been a while since you've done like a purely guitar record, isn't it? Yeah, I did one in 2017 called uh, Acoustic Guitar, and uh, it had one vocal number on it. So I guess this is the only all-instrumental record I've, I've ever done, but uh, the, the focus of that other one was definitely, you know, original instrumentals. And, I mean, I just had a ton of them laying around, and, I thought if I didn't record them, they ain't going to get cut, you know, <laughs> so I better go ahead and, and do them. Um, Blue Highway has cut a few of my tunes in the past, but in the last, I don't know, five or six records or more, Jason usually writes, our banjo player, Jason Burleson, usually writes a tune that we end up recording. And so I've just been sort of focusing on, in the Blue Highway stuff, submitting my regular lyric tunes, you know vocal tunes and and so i you know there there are a few instrumentals i would have thought i'd like to do with blue highway but uh and probably will at some point but we recently it hasn't been the case and this is uh, an interesting mix isn't it because there's some it's obviously quite a few instrumental uh originals of yours on there but there's also a couple of traditional tunes and a couple of covers as well um, but it's not just, you know, there's some solo guitars, some duets, some full band stuff. So there's a real sort of mix of stuff on there. Um, and it's just like, I, as soon as I started listening to this record when you sent it over to me, I, it reminded me when we first spoke, we talked about this idea of yours of the five T's of timing, tone, tuning, technique and taste. And I just felt like I was listening to that. Like, you know, there were all of those things were present and it's just such a, like a beautiful sound to start with. Well, thanks, man. That's, that's, uh, I hope that's the case. Uh, cause I really try to think about all those things when we're, when you're playing, you know, and you're, you're doing these things. I don't, I don't think a lot of people, when they start out playing, you know, they don't think about things like tone, you know, because you just want to learn the tunes. And I get it. I was, when I first started playing, man, I, I just, love the fact that I could play a few tunes and get this sound, you know, and everybody wants to do that and they concentrate on technique as a result. But the tone that you get is so fundamental. And, and, uh, you know, I really want to focus on that as much as I can, but it takes a concentration. You have to really think about tone while you're playing in order to do that. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't come, overnight and it's it's a combination of factors about with your right hand and learning where to put your hand how to hit the strings with your pick and even the you know i mentioned this in my video too about the azimuth of the pick and how it's turned and how you how 
move it. You know, you and I talk about Tony Rice and I used his thumb so much with his pick, you know. Rest of us probably don't do that, but we still have to think of ways when we hit the strings, how are we getting the maximum tone? And to me, it's, it's all about making your upstrokes, if you're going to alternate, sound as good as your downstrokes. You know, that's what it's all about. If you can master that one thing, you can get good tone. And, uh, and I try to work on that every time that I, that I practice. And, you know, when I'm working on tunes, I just, uh, I'm fanatic about trying to make sure that they're even enough to where you're going to get as much tone out of an upstroke as you are a downstroke. And, uh, you know, and then there's the other things too, of the timing. I mean, that only comes through practice too, just to working with that metronome, those YouTube. Uh, I do a lot of practicing on YouTube now because you can find all the beats there, uh, including like some great drum tracks, like some funk drum tracks. I love that kind of drum track because it seems like it gets me excited about playing along with it, you know. So many syncopations in it. And, uh, and you know, you can also... Everything that's ever been done, you can slow it down on YouTube. It has the, the slowdown or built into it. So it has everything you need as a teaching tool. Um, and we didn't have a few years ago. It's It takes all these other things we used to have and puts them all together. So, you know. So I hope that that comes across <laughs> in these tunes because I am trying to think about all those things um, when I'm when I'm playing yeah and it really does and i think and i think particularly with tone some of these tunes are pretty slow and when you're playing slowly and you're playing on your own if you haven't got tone then like you it might be interesting to listen to a track once but you're not going to go back and listen to it again and again and you know that that's where the depth comes from really isn't it and i was thinking about um like a, a track like there's two sort of covers on here and one of them's while my guitar gently weeps and the other one is um is both sides now by Joni mitchell and they're both like lyrical, relatively spacious melodies, and there's not, you know, if you're going to make them sing and give them some sort of quality that that stands up even without a vocal, then that that sort of tone and that, and also the, you know, just the phrasing and and they're a really interesting challenge because I've you hear particularly fingerstyle guitarists do this all the time. They'll take a melody, you know, and arrange it for solo guitar, and often what you hear is the problem solving bit of it because there's a lot of problems to solve when you're doing this. Yeah, exactly. But, but, but they don't always end up being a piece of music you can like sit and get lost in. And I think both of yours on here, um, they have that quality of, you just, I, even though they're both tunes on it really well, I felt like I just was listening to a tune and I wasn't thinking about that or the technique so much or just hearing a, a line, you know? Oh, that's a cool way to look at it. I really try to think of the lyric too, um, which is something not a lot of instrumental players think about. I don't think, you know, especially flat pickers, but uh, the second verse is different from the third verse because there's different words, you know, and the way you approach it is uh, I'm actually thinking about that cloud verse and I'm thinking about that life verse at the end when I'm doing that. And I add a little, I add actually add a, another verse in there. Um, I don't follow the straight structure on uh, while my guitar gently weeps. Um, 
but I kind of did that on purpose too, because I wanted to, after I did that high part, I wanted to go back and accentuate that, that a part of the song. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's, it is a real challenge. And like you said, it's, there's a problem to be solved. And sometimes we get so caught up as guitarists in the problem and how we're going to get around it that we don't think about as much as we should communicate the idea, you know, and the feeling. And I think that is a real big part of it. Those, those melodies, man, especially those two, I don't know what it is. I mean, they're, they're from my youth, you know. I've got, I may have told you this, Matt, but I've got uh, two sisters. They're 12 years older than me, and they're twins, um, twin sisters. And so in 1964, they were 16 years old. So I went through the entire British invasion. You know, I went through the entire Beatles phenomenon. Uh, with them, I had no choice, but I was only four when it started. So, but boy, you talk about getting stuck in your head, man. I mean, all those Beatles tunes are just still there in my head, you know, and they're, they're a background for everything I do, I think, because I heard them so much. And uh, the same is true of a melody like Both Sides Now. My God, it's such a beautiful melody. But the lyric, I mean, the first time I heard it, I was just like, I can't believe these two things have been combined like this. It's like, how do you get a melody this beautiful? And then, then on top of that, how do you get this set of lyrics? That's, that's it. I just had to read it over a few times, you know, take them down. And I remember writing down the lyric and saying, wow, God, this is so incredible. And it's before you can look it up on the Internet, just look at it, but. I slowed it down, listened to every word, and wrote it down. And I was just, I was just amazed by the lyric, and uh, I was very young, you know, when that came out. When that event, about sixty-eight, somewhere in there, sixty-nine, might have been seventy. And uh, I was only nine or ten years old, but it, it really made an impact on me. And so that's why I wanted to do the song. Is it uh, still? It still makes an impact on me. Every time I hear it, um, I think I heard the Judy Collins cover first before I heard Johnny Mitchell's version. And uh, it's a beautiful version. And, I, and there's a couple of things like when it goes to the five chord and does the, uh, the suspended five uh, arpeggio, that's when the Judy Collins version. That's not in the, in the, the Johnny version. So, you know, in her version, you've got this open this alternative tuning thing going on and a lot of what she did was, it's pretty amazing to listen to anyway, but that wasn't the approach I wanted to take on this. Just find a nice open way to play it, which I ended up using a capo that is short. It only covers uh, four strings. And so it kept the top string open to a D the bottom string open to an open A, so I essentially played it that way with the A open to the bottom. Gave me more resonance, because originally when I played the tune, I actually played it at an open, or regular G, you know. Um, and this just seemed to have a lot more sustain, a lot more ability to bring out some, some notes. So, you know, that that helped uh, phrase the song for me and put it in a, in a context um, but what a great melody, you know, I, I decided to call the album guitar melodies because I just had a lot of them that I had 
thought up and I thought, well, I want to put the melodies that I, I love, you know, cause there's so many melodies. What speaks to me most for some reason in the song, you know, the lyric can kill me too. Um, <laughs> uh, but what do you bring away first when you hear something? It's usually that melody. In it. I mean, that's, that's what strikes most people. It, it stays with them. It hits them first and it stays with them longest. Uh, you can take a, a really bad set of lyrics, put it to an incredible melody and people are going to remember it. Uh, you can't say the other, the other way around. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. Tune can be really moving. Um, even if like it's sung in a language that you don't know, you know, you can go and sit this bit of opera sung it, opera sung in Italian. You've got no idea what they're singing about, but the melody can be incredibly moving. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's interesting with that arrangement of both sides now, both of those actually, because it is the kind of tune that a lot of people would finger pick. Um, and when you do that, you can play like a bass note or a harmony note and the melody at the same time. When you flat pick those, you've got to then make some choices about where you put the bass notes between, because the melody comes first, obviously. So then right. you're not just putting the the harmony notes and the bass notes sort of square on the beats and you have to think around them a bit and, maybe strum a few bits or, and it's, I just hit like going back and listen to it after the first few times when I just got a bit lost in it. Um, when you listen back to it, hearing those sort of the approach to that is really interesting. Yeah. And, and, you know, the, the version of it that most guitar players probably know is, uh, Randy Scruggs's version from the will the circle be unbroken now. And that is a finger pick version where he uses almost exclusively the high register. He plays the low bass notes, but he does it up high. And I wanted to do that one time through uh, to accent that one verse, um, but I didn't want to do it all the way through because I wanted it to go someplace. I wanted to have some place to go. And, uh, yeah, you're right, man, because since you, you're not playing – uh, simultaneous notes like you would as a finger picker, you've got to make decisions about where to put the other notes. Like you said, you can either do a strum, you can do an offset thing with a melody, which I do sometimes a lot, where the timing is such that it implies the, where the melody goes. It doesn't actually play it so much. I do that actually in the first five of the song. Um, but they also use a technique too that we talked about with Tony and Clarence Watt where I play with the pick and two fingers. And I do that at the end because it's got that, the phrase that goes on the end of the melody into the last, into the five chord before the chorus is just set up for that. To me, it's got that, it needs that, uh, that harmony. So I was able to do that with the pick and the fingers. I don't do a lot of that, but I love that sound. I mean, there, there are players who just concentrate on that technique exclusively. It's just incredible. But, uh, and people like Tony could do it, and it sounded like like he was playing all of it with three picks. I don't know how you, you know, <laughs> do that. Clarence was great at that too, but but I just wanted to use it there to accent that uh, the harmony that works so well on those those phrases. I'm like, you know what I'm talking about, so... Yeah, and I think and Richard Thompson does it quite a lot on electric guitar as well. And it just, I think sometimes guitarists, when you're playing fingerstyle, just think of that Travis picking, like the thumb just slips into easy patterns and actually breaking out of that in the way that you do when you play with a pick or the way somebody like Leo Kotke does, where it just doesn't go for and 
because I think it's it's too easy just to slip into the alternating base thing with your thumb when you're playing finger style, and but the pick it makes you choose a bit more, doesn't it? That's exactly what it is. You nailed it. And the other thing that really sort of stood out, like and from the first track from Margaret Falls, um, both there's like a there's a sort of thread of timing that runs throughout this record. There's quite a bit of syncopation and quite a lot of phrases that f- sort of flow slightly across the beat and across bar lines and. There's just something like, lovely about it fits in with those five T's really, but it's the this idea of I remember when I started having guitar lessons with Brian Sutton, the artist works, he talked a lot about connecting the notes. You're not just playing a series of individual notes, you're sort of trying to string them together and let them ring and play them and it's just that from that the first couple of phrases of that opening tune, there's such a lovely and through all of the tunes, just this lovely line. And when you're playing either solo or you know some of the duet stuff and even the band stuff you're still fairly exposed on a record like this and there's a lovely line that runs through all those phrases well i appreciate that the uh it's in margaret falls uh that that's a place that's just over the hill here from where i'm sitting it's uh we built a house last year down here in green county tennessee and we sit in the nolichucky river valley which the Nolchegi River is just uh, less than a quarter of a mile from my house right down here. It runs in a big loop around this neighborhood. And then we have a really great view of the Bald Mountains, which is part of the Blue Ridge. And the Blue Ridge Mountains here that come across, uh, there's a number of waterfalls down in the watershed that, you know, and Margaret Falls is the closest one. It's a, it's a beautiful hike and a beautiful spot over there. So when I, I wrote the song, this is the way I do all my tunes, Matt. I'll come up with tunes and I'll record them, and and then I'll have this stupid name for it. Like I think this one was called uh, uh, "Water Water Descending E Figure" or something like that, and because it sounded like water, you know, when I when I it sounded like water falling, and so I thought, well, golly, you know, Margaret Falls, because that's a waterfall that I've been to but if you listen to it too um, it's got the uh, uh, it's got that four chord that has the uh, it's got the nine so it's actually I like having that because then you go to the six So, but that that uh, that is sort of a uh, roll, like a banjo roll. And uh, I did another tune that Blue Highway recorded called Horseshoe Bend that has a similar kind of roll in it. I did one uh, on one of my records called Whiskey Island, which is another water thing. And because that kind of sounds like water, that whole thing just sounds like water flowing, either a river or a waterfall. But uh, it's a little different role, that one is. And, uh, and it's not, it's kind of like. Earl Scruggs banjo rolls, you know, they weren't all forward rolls, weren't all 
reverse rolls and he would do part of one and half of another and string them together like you said Brian said to string the notes together mm-hmm. but uh, so it's still got that so you can tell that is similar to that so uh, I noticed John Lawless in the uh, review he did in Bluegrass Today he said that that song is built around a motif that I've done in the past and that's what he's talking about he's talking about the the role that's in Horseshoe Bend and a couple other things so uh, I like the kind of thing it's, it's different from flat picking straight flat picking fiddle tunes you know it's to me, it's got a little different feel to it. Yeah, and because it's got that combination of the roll, which sort of has a bit of forward momentum, but it's sort of moving down through the strings, so the pitch is sort of falling, but also rolling up and then back down. It's got that like that lovely cascading little feel to it, which does, like you say, you know, makes you think about water. Yeah, it did me. I, so that's why we, I called it Margaret Falls. But um, I've been meaning to do a video, maybe, and go over to Margaret Falls here and take some video, maybe put it on there. That would be, be kind of cool. Yeah. It's a beautiful spot. And there's another lovely sort of water-themed tune on this right at the end called Tranquil Tides that's just beautiful. I mean, I love the – just the it's, it's like you were saying earlier on, this idea of, like, a melody. It's, it's pretty simple. It's a melody. It puts me a little bit in mind of um, – like some of the Scottish airs or a tune like um, A Show Can Farewell or something that's just like a lot, the kind of tune that can be hard to play because there's nowhere to hide. And if you're not expressing something with it, it's just a tune. It's a beautiful tune, but like it's, you know, and the way it's supported by those strings, it's just a beautiful way to close a record. Well, thanks. I um, had, the same technique as I did with both sides now, where I had the capo that only covered four strings. So I did it the same way. I, I kept the uh, the bottom fifth string and the, the uh, sixth string open. And then so it's in the A, it's in the key of A. Now you could put a capo on and move it anywhere. You could put it at the second fret and make it a B thing, you know, move it up. Or third, you know, first fret and make it B flat. Um, but and then I left the first string open uh, on it. So it has a certain tonality, but I was just messing around with that. Uh, you know, in fact, the, the name of this song was Funny Capo Song hmm. <laughs> in my in my files. And then when I started listening to it, I was like, well, that's very peaceful. You know, so I thought. And I actually was going to call it uh, Marais Tranquille, which is a Italian for tranquil tides. And I thought no DJ in the United States is going to be able to pronounce that. So, uh, so it just became tranquil tides. And I didn't know exactly. I knew how the tune would go, and I actually recorded it all the way through. But I knew I was going to have uh, egg. Dave Egger come in and play cello on it. So I left it open. And after he did his part, it became even more tranquil tides to me because it just, it, it sounded like that. Dave is so incredible. He, I just find myself really, really lucky to, to know Dave and to be able to play with him. He's a, just an incredible musician who is from New York City who grew up in Long Island and was Aaron Copeland's sole pupil 
on the piano mm-hmm. when uh, when he was a five year old. <laughs> His mother lived in the same neighborhood and took him over to Aaron Copeland's house, mm-hmm. knocked on the door and said, "Would you consider teaching my son?" And Dave went over to the piano and started playing. And he said, "You know, I'll teach him." This is Aaron Copeland we're talking about, you know. Mm-hmm. And well, Dave ended up being the youngest person ever get into Juilliard and uh, has played with every group you can possibly imagine in the world from Trans-Siberian Orchestra, you know, Evanescence. He plays with them, you know. And he just happens to live in Bristol, Tennessee. He, he moved down here a few years ago to play on a Ralph Stanley record. Mm-hmm. Uh, he came down to record and just fell in love with the area here in East Tennessee and Southwest Virginia. And decided to move here, so he's he's this is his home base, and because of that, I get to record a lot with him. Just always, it's always just a, he blows me away. So just glad that I got the opportunity to do that. Yeah, so yeah, it's a beautiful track. The results are wonderful. Um, so it might be an interesting time to chat about the other players you've got on there because you've got a sort of full band on a few tracks. Um, say full by sort of four piece band on a few tracks, and then there's a couple of you know, really enjoyed um, Kingfisher Creek, the sort of guitar mandolin duet. Um, and that's Jacob Burleson, isn't it? Playing on that, yeah, that's that's Jason's son, Jacob Burleson, who's a great player in anything that he does. It's just incredible what he can play. All the musicians he plays with, or all the instruments he plays with, volume five, the great bluegrass group, and he plays guitar with them. And, um, I've known, I mean, obviously I've known Jacob since he was born, but I've seen him develop over the years into what he, what he is now. And he's, he's, it's just unlimited what the cat can play, pop, jazz, blues, you name it. He's so good at everything. And uh, he had recorded a solo record. In fact, it never came out. I don't know. I guess they just didn't finish it. And he recorded Kingfisher Creek on that. And he played guitar on it. And he had Stuart Duncan playing fiddle and Scott Vestal recorded it and played banjo. And, man, it was so stout. I mean, it was just such a great track. And, well, the whole record was great. And uh, he just never put it out. And uh, I asked him before we did this record if he was going to do it sometime, if he was going to put it out. He said, no, I don't think it's ever going to come out. I said, well, you might have you and I cut Kingfisher Creek. And he said, yeah, that'd be great. You know? And uh, so, yeah, it worked out good that, that I could actually do it with him since he had recorded it himself. But uh, yeah, that one's, I re- wrote that one way back when Blue Highway first started. So it was in mid nineties probably. And uh, I'm glad I got, a, I got a chance to do that one. And then the band is Jacob and then Ron Stewart, on fiddle and banjo and Ron is a band in a box, man. The guy, I mean, I could have gotten somebody else. I could have waited for it till Stuart Duncan became available because he did play on a few of my other records, but he's so busy, you know, and he's, he's playing in, in Allison and Robert Plant's tour. And so he's, he's hard to get a hold of. And, um, I thought, well, why not, Ron's going to be here. You know, he's going to play banjo, just have him play fiddle too. And he, gosh, he just murdered, like Margaret Falls is some of the best fiddle time I've ever heard. Uh, he blew me away again. 
same thing he did on uh, Alexander Mill, and uh, he's he's just one of those guys. <laughs> there's there's not a lot of them who are that good on everything they play, but uh, to me, he's as good as anybody on both the fiddle and the banjo. So, you know, lucky to get him. And then Cameron Keller is the bass player for the Lonesome River Band, and Cam actually lives just a few miles from me here, and he. So he was in, he was local, and he was available, and he just happens to be one of the best acoustic bass players out there in the bluegrass scene today. I So I looked out there, you know, and uh, I've known Cam since he was little, too. His uh, his aunt, Monabelle Keller, is married to Keith Williams, who uh, sang on my first record. He sang the song called Bad Reputation, and uh, he's a great singer. And one of the best I ever heard. And Monabelle's a really good banjo player too. And so he grew up around all that music when he was young. So glad to get those guys to do. I was going to do more than two songs, but just our schedules it ended up being only two songs. And they sound. I think maybe because they um, they sit amongst some solo stuff and some duets. Those they they, they really add to the variety because there are these couple of songs that are a full band. And I think sometimes with a a guitar record that's pretty much guitar all the way through like that, that variety actually, I think is a bonus. Yeah. That's what I had. I kind of thought of, thought of, excuse me, thought of it as a, a palate cleanser. Um, you know, the, the, the band, which is an unusual way to think about it, but, uh, you know, you do have all these duets and, and, uh, I don't have any trios on her. I've recorded some trios in the past. I did a version of Temperance Reel with uh, Adam Steffi and uh, Gavin Largent on acoustic guitar. But uh, I didn't do any on this record. And I thought, well, I'll just have duets, trios, and the band rip cuts. And I'm thinking of them as a way to, you know, make everything, clear everything up and go back to listening to the regular you know, solos and duets. So, yeah, everything works out. It's just different, you know, every time, depending on the circumstances and how much time you've got and who you can get to do it, you know, money. There's all kinds of things that go into it, you know. Yeah, and given we've been talking about tone, um, it feel, and, and because you list them on the sort of, the CD no it'd be I'd just be cool to talk about the guitars you use for a minute because the three that are listed on there you're um 34 d18 uh yeah. 2007 d18 authentic and and your Tim Cotton Stafford model mm-hmm. and I'm curious to so I don't really know much about um cotton guitars so I'd like to hear a bit about that one if that's all right well Gary Cotton approached me he's a builder from eastern Kentucky uh years back about doing a, a signature model and us and he built a prototype actually built two and uh, a guy named David Yates from here in um, Johnson City Tennessee has the other one and so there's only two um, we did it and things didn't work out to where we we ended up going any further with it uh, the solo or the signature model but you know I've still got that guitar, and it's a great guitar. So uh, um, I usually use it for the 
um, open C tunes that I do, like Kick It Straight that's on this record is one. Uh, a Slow Loris is a finger pick tune that is in that open C tuning. But I've done other songs like Obsession, um, Janet's Tune. There have been a bunch of others from some of the other records that I've done. They've all been in that. that uh, it's open C9 tuning. And that guitar sounds great in that tuning. So I, I actually just kept it here in that tuning and I would pick it up every now and then play that, you know, but then I tuned it up to standard one day and I went, Hmm, this thing sounds really good. You know, I need to start playing it some more. So I, I played it on a couple of tunes on this record and same with the, the authentic, you know, it's, it's my main road guitar that I play with Blue Highway, but I just had it there in the studio in case we had some other tunes that to get a little difference from the 34, because I played the 34 on most of the cuts. But uh, I picked up that Authentic Man, and it sounded great on a couple of tunes, so I used it. I think that's it on uh, uh, While My Guitar Gently Weeps. And uh, uh, it may be it on uh, both sides now, although I think that's the 34. So, you know, the whole thing is, too, you know, uh, I played on the acoustic guitar. I actually played a couple of my J45s and Gibsons. I got a couple of band Gibsons from the forties. Uh, and, you know, they've got a certain tone to them. that really fits. Um, like I had a song called Coburn Banner on my tunes and ballads records. Well, I got the guitar in Coburn, Virginia, and it's a banner. So that's how the, the tune got its name, but it's a ragtimey kind of song. Finger pick. So it felt right to use that guitar for that. Um, the ragtimey sort of song on this record is uh, Rhode Island Red, which is a flat pick tune. And I, so that's, I thought, well, just go ahead and use the, the 34, the D18 on that one. So, um, so it really depended on the tune, which guitar I used, although a few times I thought, let's use this to see how it sounds. And, it, you know, they're good sounding guitars, so I'm just going to, what I got. I was listening to, I think it was Clock Old Hen, uh, just a such like huge bass tone on that, whatever you do. I presume that's the um, the 34. No, that's actually the cotton. Oh, wow. Because the bass is like the resonance, but it's got that sort of hugeness, but it's really defined at the same time. Yeah, it, it does have that quality. Uh, it's a mahogany guitar with a spruce top, but it's. Uh, it's, it does have great separation. Um, seems like the, uh, you know, all the great dreads that people put together these days have that, that really cool separation in the bass that make them such great mic guitars. When you play on the mic with, with mahogany guitars these days that are, and it could be any of them, you know, it could be the bourgeois, could be the Merrills, could be, you know, Collings is making some great dreads that are, Mahogany's, uh, Preston Thompson, they all seem to have that that real defined Santa Cruz uh, bottom end that, that's like you said, it separates the notes, but it's still a big boomy bass too, you know. Mm. Not rosewood, it's a different thing than a rosewood sound. Um, but yeah, that cotton man, um, I usually play, like I say, I play it on all the C9, and that was a C9 song, the way I did Cluckle. And uh, so I decided to use that, that guitar for that. But uh, yeah, we, 
I played it for Ron when I wanted, I wanted it to be the old time version of Club Ohio, not the bluegrass version that most people know from uh, Ron Block's version mm. from Every Time You Say Goodbye, which I was on that too, but I didn't play any lead on that. I just played rhythm. I love that version of that, by the way, the Ron's version, but I wanted to do the old time fiddle version, which is what I heard first. Ron said, let's do Cluck O'Hen. I said Cluck O'Hen <laughs> the way he did it. It was sort of based, I think his version is sort of based on Ralph's version of Cluck O'Hen, Ralph Stanley. And uh, so it's a little different approach to it. Uh, but uh, but mine is definitely more all-time. Yeah, it's a cool chuck. I really like that one. Um, and the other thing, sort of, you know, talking about reading about the guitars on the the sort of the artwork on the album. It also says on there, this album is dedicated to the memory and legacy of Tony Rice. Um, and yeah, I don't, you know, I, it doesn't surprise me. I know, I know that Tony means a lot to you and his music means a lot. And I wonder why sort of, you know, that, that particularly made it onto this record. Yeah. I mean, I was just thinking of, um, of Tony a lot here lately and, um, uh, you know, I don't think his memory is in, in danger of dying anytime soon, man. It's like he is such a body of work, and there's so many people that were so affected by it uh, that you've got people like yourself. You've got people like uh, the guy that does Tony Units on Instagram. That That's an incredible source of, of rare, rare live recordings and um, great graphics. It's a great – if anybody hasn't seen that, you've got to check it out. But that's helping to keep Tony's uh, legacy alive every day, you know. And then there's the Tony Rice Rules Facebook website, and there's mm-hmm. a few other things that are going on. So I don't think there's any danger of that happening. I just, you know, you did this masterful uh, 40th anniversary thing about Church Street Blues, and I thought that was, it got me thinking a lot about that record and about how, it was Tony's solo record, you know, and and I thought, well, this is a solo guitar record that I'm doing, and I thought, oh, he was just on my mind, you know, and I thought, uh, I didn't want to do a huge long dedication list like a normal record. I just thought, well, I'll just dedicate this record to Tony, and uh, I think that we'll, people will be listening to Tony Ross stuff. For a long time, I don't know how long it's going to be. It's going to be probably over a hundred years. Who knows? Uh, yeah, I don't think anybody will come along like that. You know. And as long as pe- people are being inspired by that, and you know, thinking of Tony when they make music and taking that and making it their own, that's that that's what lives on, isn't it? Is the influence and the you know that that energy is picked up and carried through and handed on to somebody else and. It's a lovely thing. It is. And and he he always was very kind about my playing. And I think part of it was that he knew I wasn't trying to sound like him, but I was definitely inspired by him. And that's what he liked. He liked that kind of approach. And that's what he did himself with Clarence. You know, he's like he he always said, I wanted to play just like Clarence White, and I couldn't do it. And so my style emerged as a result of my limitations. And I'm like, well, okay, dude, well, I tried to play like you and I couldn't do it. So I guess my style emerged, you know, as my limitation 
and trying to play like Tony, but um, you listen enough to stuff and it just seeps in. It's like the jazz guitar seeped into his playing. It's a jazz piano seeped into his playing because he listened to it so much in the horn playing. Miles Davis and John Coltrane, you know, I hear that phrasing in his playing, you know, and I guarantee you he never sat down and learned any of that stuff, you know. There may have been one or two tunes, like I know he did an artist on one of his records, but uh, I don't think that's the way he operated. He listened so much to that music that it, it just seeped into to him, it seeped into his playing, you know. And uh, Tony's playing is like that for me. It's just I've listened to it so much, especially his rhythm guitar. It just It's like the place you got to start, you know, to me. When, when you're playing, you're coming up with stuff in a bluegrass band setting. So. And I think that sort of that sort of loops us back to what we were talking about at the beginning, you know, those five T's of timing, tone, tuning, technique, and that fifth T of taste is you put all of that stuff in and what comes back out of you, what how that filters and distorts and is added to and you know, that that's the taste. You you find the stuff and all the all the stuff goes in and then what comes out is you. And that's why I yeah. just, you know, that's why I love listening to this record. It just, it's like a, this it's just full of personality. Well, it's just, it's a, it's me. It's what I can do. I mean, um, and I, I guess I could try to do an album of Django covers. Would be kind of ridiculous. Uh, or I could do a cover album of somebody else, but. Um, that just don't come naturally to me. I just would rather get these tunes that are in my head that have been in for a long time out. So I don't have to deal with them anymore in there. And maybe some people can play along with them and maybe be inspired at some point to play their own stuff, you know, same way. Um, I guess what we do as musicians, it's like we try to, yeah, we're having fun doing this, but you know, you feel like, you, you try to, to be an example for other people, maybe in that way, and say, "Well, you know, I can do this. You can too." You know, to me, that was the cool thing about Tony is once I realized, you know, you could actually play the stuff that he's playing. At first, I thought you could because it was so hard. It seemed like it was just it was so much, you know. But what an inspiration he was! Like, wow, I can do this too, or I can come up with my own stuff too. You know. Um, so yeah, it's it's a way of communicating by example, um, and I guess that's that's how we'll, we'll leave it. Yeah, and you've got those tunes out of your head, and they're in mine now, so it worked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, good luck. Just I'm really enjoying this record, and I will be enjoying it for some time to come. It's um, yeah, it's a joy, and my best of luck with it. I hope it does really well for you. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. It's it's just started getting played on serious radio, so maybe that'll get a little more a wider cachet and that'll help things. Uh, but yeah, I'm just glad to still be doing this after all this time, and I still have a lot of tunes. I need to find somebody I can teach all these tunes to or leave them to that can learn them and say, hey you know, record these after I'm gone, you know, because I've got way too many. I'm not going to be able to do enough solo records to get all those tunes out there. So, It's a great album. 
Thank you, man. I appreciate you so much. Well, and thanks for taking the time to come and talk about it. It's always a joy to talk to you, Tim. Oh, yeah. Same here, man. Bluegrass Jamalong is proud to be sponsored by Collings Guitars and Mandolins, making some of the finest guitars and mandolins in the world since the 1970s. Visit collingsguitars.com and find out why.